is usually... Everybody all right? For more than a decade, you've seen him on some of cable television's most popular shows, including Ancient Aliens and The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. You may have even read one of his more than two dozen books published since 2004. But what you may not know is behind the scenes, Dr. Travis Taylor has had another job entirely. He has been working on highly classified programs as a senior scientist for the U.S. Army Space and Missile Defense Command and as a contractor supporting NASA, the Department of Defense, and the intelligence community. Dr. Taylor has worked on many highly advanced technologies. We will have teleportation. We will have the magic inventory. We will have the, the x-ray hack. We will have XYZ. We'll have Iron Man suits, whatever. But earlier this year, it was also revealed that he worked as the senior scientist for the Pentagon's UAP task force investigating UFOs. That revelation surprised many people, including those who he was working with side by side on a daily basis. So it was a it was a bit of a, a shock to find out that, you know, we had you had kind of were wearing two hats as far as that goes. I just I, well, not, well, I hate to interrupt, but I, I you know I, I see it uh, from a different perspective in that I was giving you guys back cover. Jay uh, Stratton told me was that if we find anybody doing anything illegal, if we find these men in black, uh, that we're taking them down, you know, because they're doing it something that's not supposed to be happening. Today, Dr. Taylor steps into the vault to discuss his long career, his recent move to the private sector, and hopefully he will reveal some tidbits about his UFO investigations that he conducted for the U.S. government. Stay tuned. You're about to journey inside the Black Vault. That's right, everybody. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking this journey inside the Black Vault with me. I'm your host, John Greenwald Jr., founder and creator of theblackvault.com. And to say that I'm uh, excited about this show would be an understatement. I'm not going to waste any time. I want to bring him right on uh, and welcome Dr. Travis Taylor. Uh, Dr. Taylor, thank you so much for for taking some time and, and joining me here. Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And and I've been excited to do this show ever since I learned that it, it was reported by George Knapp, uh, for those who aren't aware, that you worked as the chief scientist for the UAP task force. Uh, now, my I know you know this, Dr. Taylor, but for the audience, uh, we first met in brief about six, seven plus years ago. I was producing a show well before any UFO task force or even Skinwalker Ranch. And my executives came to me and they said, hey, you have to get this guy on, on this show. And I was working on the show about uh, aliens attacking Earth. And they said, this is the guy. And uh, they brought up you. And I was so sad because 
you were shooting. Uh, I forget what show you were on. There were so many that you were, were currently working on, uh, but we, we didn't get to do that interview. And so here we are X amount of years later and uh, really do appreciate you taking the time in a completely different context of what was uh, how we originally met. So again, thank you for that. Before we get into all your UAP task force work and so on, can you set the stage for me for uh, the audience of who is Dr. Travis Taylor? What do you do for the U.S. government? And, and as we saw in the introduction, contracting for NASA, DOD, IC work, what exactly do you do? Yeah, so... A lot of people kind of have a misperception as to, uh, you know, why I was on the uh, task force and, and, you know, what my background is and so on. I've seen a lot of sort of memes out there like that alien, ancient aliens guy was on the UAP task force or whatever. That had nothing to do with me being on the task force, honestly. I, you know, when I was in high school a million years ago, uh, I won the uh, Alabama State Science Paper Competition, and the, the first uh, prize of that uh, that contest uh, was a summer internship with the U.S. Army, and this was in 1986. That's how old I am. <laughs> so, uh, and I went on to win sixth in the nation, and with that paper, I built a radio telescope and picked up radio waves from black holes and stuff. And uh, and uh, anyway, so. Um, the summer job I had that year with the Army was to uh, work on uh, high-energy laser weapon system uh, design and do laboratory research with lasers. And the uh, the boss there liked me enough that he said, hey, man, uh, go to school and, and uh, come work for us every other uh, – we were on quarters back then, every other quarter, uh, and uh, we'll pay your way through school. And so I – sounds like a great deal, right? So – uh, the army paid me a salary. They paid my tuition and bought books for me. And, uh, and, and I would go to, uh, engineering and physics school one, one quarter, the next quarter I would work. And I did that for five years until I graduated and they hired me full time. And I started going to graduate school full time during all that time. I was working on uh, laser weapon systems and high tech physics and engineering concepts. And I ended up getting, a uh, a master's in uh, a bachelor's in electrical engineering, a master's in physics, then a PhD. And uh, uh, it was a dual degree in physics and electrical engineering called optical science and engineering, uh, which was quantum physics and laser laser physics. And then uh, I, I did a master's degree in aerospace engineering uh, and a, a master's degree in astronomy. Uh, and then I, uh, another PhD in aerospace engineering. Um, and, and during all that time, I was either working for the Army on uh, uh, DE weapon systems or I moved into uh, doing more space uh, deployment uh, concepts, satellites, uh, uh, space, uh, laser-based space propulsion, space energy beaming. Uh, and then I went into the private sector for uh, about eight years and, and, was, and worked almost, I would say, 50% NASA and 50% intelligence community. It was all space-based hard problem stuff coming up with magic sensors that would detect things that were really hard to detect. And, um, and, 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 it, and, and all this time, never found this a program about UFOs or anything. But now in two, and this is, this, this is key, in uh, 2002, uh, about six months after 9-11, uh, uh, a mentor of mine in the intelligence community, Dr. Bob Bone, 
and I were in a meeting with a three-letter organization about uh, finding solutions to the uh, asymmetric war that we were in with, uh, you know, in Iraq and Afghanistan and the hard problems that we were seeing there. And I made the joke in the meeting, there, there was a, a general and some colonels and a bunch of other folks in this room, uh, senior leaders in, in the intelligence community. I, I started laughing and said, because uh, this one uh, general said, well, we're going to have to put ourselves in their shoes and walk a mile in their shoes. And I said, I laughed and he said, what are you laughing about? I said, well, our poor people have Xboxes and two TVs. You know, there's there's no way we're going to be able to even fathom walking a mile in their shoes. And most of these people don't even have shoes. So the only time America is going to find itself in an asymmetric war is if we were invaded by aliens. And I was, you know, being absurd, you know, uh, to make the point. Well, a few minutes later, we were at the water cooler to break. And uh, one of these uh, uh, IC senior leader guys came up and said, what would we do if we were invaded by aliens? And I said, well, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. We'd probably die is what, what, I, what I guessed. And so me and Dr. Bone uh, started talking about it. And we said, hey, uh, let's go find out. And at the time we had, you know, high clearances and stuff. We looked everywhere and couldn't find any plans, any protocols. So we said, well, somebody needs to do this. So we wrote the book uh, at the time, the first draft, it was called Introduction to Planetary Defense. The latest version is called Alien Invasion. Well, that's the book that you found, I think, on the Internet that led you to give me a call to be on uh, the universe or whatever the show yeah. was. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so that's kind of key uh, in, in this pathway uh, that led me there. Um, and just for clarity, was the book for the government slash military, or was this a book that you published outside? We decided since it didn't exist, <clears throat> that it needed to exist. And we asked our, our uh, bosses within the, the three letter organizations and they said, yeah, we can't fund you to do it, but we'd really like to see it. And so I went and found my, uh, and, and at the time I, my first science fiction novel had just come out. And so I asked my book publisher if, if she'd be interested in it. And she was like, yeah, let's do it. And so uh, we went forward with the book. And uh, now moving forward, um, you know, we yeah, I started doing these TV shows as uh, mainly uh, the TV show thing wasn't because I wanted to be on TV as a, uh, you know, get to be on TV guy. It was to get uh, the the science, tech, uh, technology, engineering, mathematics uh, needs uh, sort of edutainment, so to speak, to get it across to the public that we need more people doing this kind of stuff. And it's not undoable like people think it is you know like on rocket city rednecks we built that iron man suit out of junkyard car parts you know and i could curl a keg of beer with one hand uh and that was with two thousand dollars in crap so you know if we actually had an iron man suit program you know we could probably do it um and that was my point was to to educate people at things like this and uh so uh at, at any rate move forward uh, and I end up on uh, getting invited to come be on the uh, Skinwalker, Secret Skinwalker Ranch investigation team. And after the first few weeks I'm there, I'm measuring these electromagnetic signals that scare me because they very, they remind me of what I thought might be some of our near peers doing something nefarious. And so I had a day job, you know, still working with the Army. Uh, and, and I had security uh, reporting requirements that if I thought someone was doing counterintelligence inside the United States, that I'm by oath uh, required to report it to security. So I went forward, so I went back to work uh, and reported that I measured some signals that I was concerned could be 
near peers doing something nefarious. And uh, I was called up to the Pentagon to brief some folks, go into a room and I, and I, I brief uh, uh, these guys. And, and after a minute, and I had, you know, uh, one other guy with me that was uh, from the first season of Skinwalker. And uh, then uh, this guy comes in and said, asked everybody else to leave the room, but me. And then these two guys walk in and one of them's got a copy of my alien invasion book in his hand with post-it notes all in it. And uh, I find out a few minutes later that this is this guy's name, uh, John J. Stratton. And that he is the uh, chief, he's the uh, director of the UAP task force. And this was in 2019. And he, and he said, uh, uh, he asked me to brief him again. I went through everything, all the, all the, data and everything. And, and I had a security clearance. So he opened up a, a portfolio, started showing me some data and said, so what do you think about this? And we talked for a little bit. And at the end of the conversation, he says, how would you like to come on board and, and be the chief scientist for me? And, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> sign me up. And so that's how it all kind of rolled together. Uh, and it had nothing to do other than uh, it put me in the right position at, on Skinwalker Ranch to make those measurements it had nothing to do with being on TV uh, that got me on there. It, what it had to do was uh, uh, Jay had been doing this job for 20 or 15 years or something. And, uh, and he, you know, through OSAP and then ATIP and, and his job with the ONI and whatever. And, and he wanted a chief scientist that he could take with him uh, to talk to Congress, to talk to the white house and uh, to help him plan most of our work was done planning if we got budget, what we would do with it, and then going to Congress and saying, here's why we need it and what we would do. And uh, about the other half of our work was in looking at data we had and, and seeing and reverse engineering as best we could of what it was in the data. Well, so that's, that's kind of in a nutshell uh, how I got there. Let me ask you, is there a connection between Skinwalker Ranch itself and the task force? So 2019 to you know and beyond so not prior we'll get to that but but from when you met jay stratton in 2019 after and you're at skinwalker ranch and obviously collecting data uh for use within the task force did skinwalker ranch become a subject of that task force no it did not and i, and I want to be very clear about about that you know a lot of people are, are thinking i was spying on uh, on them for the government or reporting back and you know dragon had the biggest problem uh, with, with that, thinking that that's what I was doing. I said, no, dude, that's illegal. I, you cannot spy. The, the intelligence community cannot spy on the United States and on its citizens. The only 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 intelligence organization that has authority to do that is the FBI. Uh, and, you know, probably some DHS uh, caveats there. But but the FBI is the one with the mandate for internal investigation of the United States. And they got to have warrants and stuff to go on private property or permission. And, and absolutely not. Now, what I what I did have was insight that if I thought, hey, you know, I've seen this before or an F-18 saw this or a radar saw this, maybe I need to be looking at this frequency spectrum or at this uh, type of sensor or, or something when I'm out there. And the other thing was if nefarious folks came up, I had a direct guy on my phone. I could call the local FBI special agent <clears throat> who was, you know, 10 to 30 minutes away and, and I could have an FBI agent there uh, looking for if, if I thought there was somebody black bagging us or 
there was a, a, a truck parked off the property eavesdropping or flying drones or something like that. That was the only, you know, asset or possibility of there being uh, an interaction, but there was not. And, you know, if I found something, uh, keep in mind, I was under non-disclosure agreements yeah. with uh, uh, the TV guys and with Brandon Fugel, who owns the ranch. Uh, and so I, I couldn't report back that unless it was in a government setting where the government treated anything as intellectual property uh, of the Brandon Fugel Admantium LLC or whatever it's called. I forget the name of his company. Yeah. And uh, so it was, it was a, it was a tightrope. I had to be careful. <laughs> uh, it seemed like such a genuine uh, moment in the clip that I played in the introduction to see the guys kind of react to oh. learning that you had this, uh, I think he called it a double hat. And, and again, it was like genuine is, is really the only word I can think of because your reaction to it was equally as genuine trying to explain that that type rope. And in that explanation, you had brought up men in black. And I that kind of piqued my interest a little bit that you and Jay were using that that phrase together. Can you explain that a little bit on what you meant by by men in black? I know you just said a little bit by watching if you saw cars parked or, or something like that. But what do you mean by that? Is that like a, an adversary spying on you? Is that a, a government another government agency spying on you. What did you mean by men in black? Yeah. So what I meant by the men in black specifically is there's so much conspiracy theory stuff out there about this secret shadow government organization and these men in black suits coming up and threatening people. They can't ever say anything and they're going to kill them or whatever and all that stuff. And so Jay and I were like, uh, you know, uh, we hope they come to the door because we want to know who these people are because they're operating outside of constitutional authority. And uh, and if they do, then that's why we had FBI on call. And he had uh, so he was, act, you know, Jay was a, a senior leader in the Navy and he had, you know, Navy NCIS guys on call uh, that, you know, if something happened, we could put law enforcement into play. And uh, we were hoping that if there was this or is or I'm not saying we never found the men in black. Let me clarify that right now. Gotcha. Uh, but if they were there. Uh, we were hoping they would, uh, you know, show up and and we'd see what was going on. But uh, I'm not saying they're not there. I'm just saying that we never found them, right? I mean, you know, I don't know any anything more than anybody else about that, really, except that uh, from our interaction uh, within the task force, we never saw them. Um, it, before I get to the chief scientist, because I want to take you back to the chief scientist role and exactly exactly what you did with Jay. But one last question on all of that, if I may. It seems like going into this, and this is credit to you, that that you had kind of the, the data collecting mission to what you were doing, but also it kind of, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like this myth busting mission between you and Jay, whether it be this men in black kind of uh issue that you've heard about before, but also you had mentioned a couple minutes ago about being highly cleared with all the work that you did and started looking around for UFO slash alien extraterrestrial type programs or anything like this and didn't find any. What does that tell you? Do you think that you were cleared enough to find those deep, dark secret programs should they exist? And if you feel you were that cleared, uh, does it say something that you didn't find it? Yeah, so uh, the National Defense Authorization Act uh, gave us the authority to go ask uh, any 
service or agency in the federal government and ask them if they have a program and for them to tell us if this was them or not. Uh, and they, and they always came back and said, this is not us. Uh, and, and so as far as I could tell, there was no program, but now there is a possibility that there were special access programs that, uh, had an NDA that was so tight that, uh, it, they were, they could have been afraid to, um, discuss with anybody that didn't have that particular clearance and the person who created that caveat's dead. So no new people will ever have that clearance. It's a very uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Ark of the Covenant in a lost uh, warehouse kind of problem. And, and so that's what the whistleblower clause in the new NDAA was all about. It's not about, you know, that we're, we're, somebody's going to come tattle on somebody for doing something because they've been breaking the law. It's most likely that there might have been, if there was, and I don't know that there was, a legacy program, that's what we call them, legacy programs, um, that uh, had a classification that doesn't exist anymore. And the people who had the classification authority uh, to create that or give you the clearance to go into that program doesn't exist anymore. They're dead, right? Or they're long retired and nobody knows who it was. And so these people may have been read into these programs and worked on them, but they can't tell anybody. There's no way, there's no legal mechanism for them to tell anybody because then they'll violate their, their NDA and they go to jail for a long time for doing that. And so that's what this new clause in the uh, NDAA for 23 is supposed to be is that it gives a uh, uh, protection to people who can come forward now that may have had those clearances, but didn't know how to, carry it forward. Think about it. There's more, many reasons for it. More than just us knowing if there is some information that was important in those classification uh, programs, I'm going to say if they existed, I don't know they existed. If they existed, you don't want to lose that information, right? We need to have a way to, to, to capture it, store it, maybe put it in a new uh, classification uh, under a new program or something so that people that are alive and will live for a while will be able to know that it's there. And even if it needs to remain classified, there's a method methodology or a place to keep it. And if it doesn't need to still be classified, then there needs to be a method for releasing that information as well. And I'm sure you'll, I just gave you plenty of buzzwords put in a, your next FOIA request. Yeah. That will yeah, be no, no, no. I, and I'm, I'm, I'm frantically taking notes as we go here. Um, I'm glad I don't have to deal with them anymore, John. <laughs> yeah. With, with everything that you just said and, and your past and looking into this, I want to ask your quick thoughts on the people that have come out, the whistleblowers that talk about these highly, what would be highly classified issues. And you have a clearance. I do not. Uh, nor have I ever, but I've been around the block enough to know that sometimes the mere idea of something is in of itself a classified in nature thing to talk about. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a hard thing to kind of explain, but I finally got something in writing from the DIA recently, which I posted that, that pretty much puts in black and white, that concept that the idea of something or the existence of something, even though they're not showing you the blueprints, the existence of something in and of itself can actually be classified. So they give a glomar. So my, my question is with all these people that have come forward, whether it be Bob Lazar or others that have been posted in the New York times, I've talked about Dr. Eric Davis talking about off-world vehicles and, and stuff like that. All of that in my mind would be highly classified in nature, yet nothing happens 
to those to those whistleblowers that are talking about what would likely be highly classified. Can I ask your thoughts on that? Do you believe there is weight to what these stories are are being printed about Bob Lazar, Dr. Eric Davis, and so on? Or do you have an issue with that? Um, well, I I have an issue with the whole Bob Lazar story. I think George Knapp is an amazing, you know, investigative journalist and him and Jeremy Corbell, what they've done is amazing. But I, I think there's more to the Bob Lazar story than they understand or or or, or know and or, or want to accept. I, I I don't know the right way to say it. And I don't mean any disrespect to George. Sure. I think Georgia is is wonderful. Um what I mean by that is perhaps there was something more going on if Bob Lazar really was there and uh, then, then he understood what he was being exposed to. Right. My biggest concern with all this, how do you have a master's degree from, uh, you know, one of the most prestigious schools in, on the West coast in physics and you didn't keep a copy of your diploma or, uh, you know, physics departments are small. He would have remembered a physics professor he took for E&M 2 or quantum or mechanics or stat mech or you name the course. And that professor, one of those professors would still be alive who could say, oh, yeah, Bob was in my class. But, you know, there is no evidence that he can point to that he even has a master's degree in physics other than uh, him saying some physics words. Um, and then, uh, they, you know, there's the phone book and his, and his W-2 form or whatever it was, or 1099, I forget what form it was. He said that he got paid from there. Maybe he was, maybe he did do, uh, some, uh, laboratory work there. Uh, but I, you know, I just, I have a real hard time with the credibility of that story. Uh, I, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I just have a hard time with it. Now, on the other hand, with Eric, I know Eric, uh, very well. Eric is, a, he's, Eric is, uh, a super genius. He's uh, brilliant, and he's been exposed to some things. He spent a lot of time at Skinwalker Ranch. Now, before I went to Skinwalker Ranch myself, I'd have thought most of the stuff he said was crazy. Uh, but I can tell you, uh, I, I will tell you this. Eric has a tendency uh, to accept and believe uh, stories uh, from pseudo-credible, you know, because of where they come from, then he, he assumes what they're telling him is a credible story without getting the back background data to prove their story. Uh, like if I told Eric uh, that the that you know there were aliens on the moon, Eric would probably believe me, right? And I don't mean that as a discredit to Eric. Eric is a uh, he's trustworthy, very very trustworthy of people that he trusts. Uh, so I, I I think what Eric needs to do is is find a better way to show proof than simply the stories. And that's why I don't like to get into, uh, you know, the, the story, you know, I'll, I'll tell sometimes some of the stories of things that happen, even if they sound crazy, but then I'll say sounds crazy. And I can't prove it to you because I don't have any sensor data or anything say it really happened. So I don't expect you to believe it. Uh, and, and so unless I have the data and that's, that's what I want to focus on is we have data and uh, all sorts of data of, of UAP, UFO phenomena that is hard science measurement data that can't be refuted, that needs to be investigated much, much further and much in much more detail.
Does that answer your question? Does that help you? Yes, it does. And I want to get into that data right now. But before I do, I know I will get a ton of hate mail if I don't ask you this question. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But since we brought him up uh, and we're talking about Dr. Eric Davis, you're familiar with the Wilson Davis notes? Yeah. Uh, Depict real events or not? What is your opinion? Uh. I don't, I don't want to say that they did or didn't happen. Cause I don't know. Uh, they, they seem fantastic. Right. Uh, but there's the notes aren't, uh, scientific evidence. They're just data. And, and so, uh, it's, that's the problem with a lot of the whistleblower testimony is there's not going to be a smoking gun box somewhere that we can go point to and say, here's the evidence that backs up my story. And we really got to be able to find a pathway to that warehouse where the Ark of the Covenant is, right? I mean, it's kind of the the hard problem that we're in. And let's go back now to the data that you were talking about. When you're talking about the hardcore data that just really hasn't been, uh, I'm not putting words in your mouth, uh, but I think you said like adequately explained or addressed. Is that from your work as 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 chief scientist in the UAP task force or prior? Um, I'd say it's from uh, my work period. Uh, okay, so all <laughs> of yeah, so of all time, uh, there's a lot of hard uh, scientific measurement data that we've taken at Skinwalker Ranch. There was a lot of there was so much data that we had at the task force. I couldn't even look at all of it. And the worst part about it, uh, just to be honest, John, and there's a lot of people said, you know, we were incompetent. We couldn't do this or that. But, you know, I joined the task force in 2019 in like May, June, something like that. And uh, and then guess what happened about six months later, the world shut down because of COVID and, and the, and the DOD shut down, shut down travel unless it was like a, you know, a a shooting mission requirement. And I mean, literally like if it wasn't in, in, in some extreme operational requirement, there was no travel. And uh, so the problem with most of the data uh, that we got on the task force was they came from sensors on different military systems, and each one of those had a different classification. Some of them were special access programs, some of them were TSSCI, some of them were this, that, and the other thing, and you can't put that data on the same computer systems. So there were times, so Jay and I had a way uh, for me here in Alabama to go into a skiff that had a video conferencing system, and, uh, and Jay had one in his office, and a lot of times he would get one of those other computers and play the video on a different screen and point the camera at it so I could look at it just to be, and that's, and that was the best we could do during COVID. Um, now uh, he could send me hard copies of things and print or screen captures and that stuff. Um, and, and that's, that's the way we did the analysis during COVID and keep in mind, they only let me go in the building one day a week uh, during, during for two years effectively. Yeah. So COVID put a big damper on what we were doing. And, uh, uh, but uh, we did have a lot of data. And when we say, said in the, uh, the final report that we released uh, that there was 143 that we couldn't explain out of 144, that's not made up. I mean, we had either, you know, like radar or EOIR sensor captures, images, uh, video, we, uh, most of them were, were backed up with a pilot or a WIZO uh, uh, saying they saw it or they saw at least the data on thing. They took a picture with their cell phone, something like that. And and uh, so that may have been all we had. 
And if that's all you've got, I mean, what's your next step? Our next steps were we told Congress we needed this much money to go do these experiments and try and get more detailed, hard data. So the uh, the the hipsy and the sissy did put into the law that there should be budget. But the uh, Appropriations Committee never appropriated the funds. We always worked 100 percent on existing funds on loan from our parent organization, like the Army loaned me to Jay during that time frame and still paid my salary and complained about it the whole time because I wasn't bringing in the other money that I was supposed to be getting to pay for my salary because it was never appropriated. And so there were a lot of issues as to why a lot of things, there wasn't more uh, guts to the, the, the report that was released. And it was, there was much more to it than that, but that was what was, uh, you know, filtered down for the general public. Drilling in even deeper to you, to, to Dr. Taylor, what was the most convincing data that you were seeing that made you realize, oh my gosh, we have to get more funding. We have to look at this. What were, what was it visual? Was it, was it testimony? What, what was it data wise that was telling you there's something to this? Well, it was, uh, it was two things actually. Uh, they were sort of, they were parallel paths. Uh, I was seeing the same things at Skinwalker Ranch and making detailed measurements with multiple sensors, gamma ray detection, microwave detection, uh, uh, infrared detection, visible and multiple witnesses having physiological effects uh, when these things were occurring and hearing similar things while uh, on the other side of the fence with my task force hat on. And and that led me to realize that, uh, uh, you know, this has to be much more detailed and looked into. And and I can tell you, uh, uh, since I can talk about it, it's publicly released, is the gimbal video has so much data in it that people don't realize is there. There is uh, all the little words and numbers on the screen mean stuff. Uh, They mean a lot of things. Uh, I've done detailed analysis of this. uh, We briefed this. Uh, to various levels. We briefed it to senators and congressmen. We briefed it uh, a bunch of places. But uh, it's not a glare, as some debunkers would have you believe. It's not a uh, uh, an airplane 80 miles away or however far it was they, they say it's going to be. And, and it truly is the vehicle making these turns. It's not an artifact of the Raytheon at FLIR. Um, and and uh, while it's really interesting, I see so many people taking such hard efforts to debunk as opposed to just do analysis and report the analysis. And I wonder what is behind that. Is it a personal motivation, a a religious motivation, a political motivation, an economic motivation? I don't know. And I can tell you right now, John, and you can attest this because you worked in TV. uh, The TV wasn't an economic motivation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was doing my, I'm still working my day job for a reason, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to get rich off of being off uh, of being on TV. I, I can tell everybody that I've always tried to dispel that myth for for many years. Uh, to go back to kind of the debunker uh, question, I, I kind of have a, a couple that are folded in here, but uh, my name comes up to you a lot. I, I say sadly because a lot of it is misconstrued. I know Stephen Greenstreet is a, is another one that that you get asked about a lot. Uh, Mick West, obviously, more of the video analysis and the gimbal. And I think that there's just kind of this misconception between people that that have these varying levels of skepticism. The first part of my question is, 
I mean, do you really think that there is a underlying motivation for them? I mean, I, I guess the same could be said if you're on TV, you're not making a lot of money, so I support you there. But when you say economic motivation, I don't see Mick West or Stephen Greenstreet really making a whole lot of money from this either. Yeah. So, and, and, and unless they've had a sugar daddy of somehow pumping money into it, I don't see that either, right? No, and and that's what I want to ask you. Like, do you do you feel that that that's a possibility? Because I don't. Uh, just full disclosure. But I want you to be able to address that too. Because do you feel that there's some other entity that's pumping money and funding it? See, that's I, I don't. I, that's the that's a question. I, I mean, I'm asking that as a question. I don't know. I'm asking what is that motivation? Because to me, that's an important thing. Either either it's a sociological, uh, uh, cultural phenomena that people are just motivated for some reason to go and and they can't they, we can't have aliens or we can't have ufos they're not real they can't be so i'm going to go show that it's not what's driving that emotionally uh or or is it usually people do things for power money or, or emotional gratification right and so uh where in those three does it fit and is is it just purely emotional gratification if it is that's a a, a fantastic and staggering phenomena. You know, I, I mean, I, that's honestly, it's why I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm sure it's why you're doing what you're doing. Right. So let me, let me ask you then, because I don't know on your end, what kind of analysis, and we'll stick with the gimbal because you brought it up and, and I, I agree with you. There's a lot of data points that are visible there. None of which I understand because they go way over my head. Uh, so I, I stay out of the analysis. So I've got no skin in this game, <laughs> but my, but my question is on your, on your side, right on, on the government side, on the analysis side, UJ, uh, and, and the task force, which by the way, really quick, how many people were in the, in the task force? Can you say? That we're kind of working. Uh, so, so keep in mind what I said earlier is that there was never any funds appropriated, mm -hmm. uh, and so there were people on loan from almost every service and every agency that were part of this task force. So, yeah, you know, what are there like eighteen different agencies in the intelligence community, and every one of them was represented in some form or fashion, and some others, and and the ones who didn't have an active participant were briefed and said, "Oh, that's great. I don't know what to do with it, though." I mean, yeah. we briefed the NASA administrator, the previous one. And we briefed uh, the White House chief scientist. We brief, I mean, we briefed everybody. And I, uh, uh, and so it's, it's uh, you know, we had we had meetings. Jay would call it uh, happy hour uh, at least once a week. And uh, we would do one when we could. We would do them in a classified setting. And when we couldn't, we would do them on like a Teams setting, but keep it unclassified just to do kind of logistics and keep up with everybody. And there yeah. was always 10 or, you know, 15 people on those you know, conversations. So there were, there, there was enough people looking at the problem that, uh, you know, had we been truly given the momentum to go forward, we were going to get to the end of this. Probably give you a perfect example. Um, there, there, I was about to, just before COVID hit, I was scheduled to go do the, the dunk tank training to become a, a payload specialist on a particular aircraft that had all sorts of sensors in it. And we were going to go and fly around certain hotspot areas and look for uh, data. But COVID knocked that out, out of the out of the works. And there was a, a lot of things like that, that that we just never in the three years I was there, we never had the funding uh, to move forward. We had the authority, but never the funding. And you can have the authority all day long. If you don't have the money to do it, you're not going to yeah. go forward and do much. 
in regard, I'm glad for that explanation. So thank you. I had found a document with the NRO that had never really been revealed before, not only the document, but the uh, concept of a UAP task force advisory board. And I'm guessing that that's what you're referring to is that collectively they had all these people on loan. So very cool to get your, your side of the perspective on that, because I want to go back to that gimbal question that I wanted to ask you Mm -hmm. to give everybody, including myself, the background to what analysis or how you guys do the analysis uh, again, taking the, the gimbal video, for example, because what Mick West does obviously is more um, a, uh, apparent to us, right? I mean, we can see it, uh, the, the general public, I mean, uh, but we can't see what you guys did. So, so how much detail can you give us on what you do to analyze that video, who was involved, and what conclusions did you guys come up with on that specific video? Well, I've, I've spoken with Mick uh, West about this, uh, not not voice to voice, but texting or, or email or whatever a few times. And, uh, and I, I, I got to say, Mick does very thorough work and I got nothing bad to say about him, except I'm just curious as to uh, uh, what his motivation is. You know, and I'm not and I'm not saying it's nefarious. I don't want anybody to people go on Twitter, UFO Twitter and go crazy with that stuff. And I uh, that's why I don't go on there much is because it's so toxic. But uh um, so the first thing we don't do is throw any data out. And one of the first things that, you know, Mick says in his video about the gimbal is we're going to not listen to the audio. Uh, we're not going to, you know, we don't, we're not going to talk about the radar, uh, that they talk about. They're seeing the things on the situational awareness radar. And so what he's doing right there is taking, uh, uh two witness sensors out immediately. He's taking the, the pilot and WISO sensors out themselves. He's taking the situational awareness radar, who, which detected a whole fleet of these things. Uh, and, and, and then what he doesn't point out was that that situational awareness radar slaved the ATFLIR uh, to what it was detecting and, and slewed it to the gimbal object. So it couldn't be a lens flare uh, only or an object of the of the uh, sensor if the radar was picking it up and telling it to do that. I say, oh, no, it was an airplane 80 miles away. Well, no. And if it were an airplane, the FLIR aperture is about that big around, and uh, at that distance you would have had uh, one pixel would be about the size of a car. So, you, uh, you know, a 747 would have had three or four or five pixels at best on target. And this gimbal video has plenty of, cent- of pixels on the target. So there are a lot of things that aren't brought to, uh, uh, to light there. And then there's, there's a whole lots of other steps. We went and interviewed the, the people involved. Uh, we went and looked for any other instrumentation data that if there were, we couldn't talk about anyway. Um, but the point is there were, there is a lot more data than just what is in the videos that are there. And, and, and again, and I, and I talked to you about it, uh, uh, earlier about why you can't declassify some of those things. I'll get, I'll just point out, uh, uh, if every sensor, for example, uh, on, a on a F-22 is classified, I mean, everything. And so you can't, even reveal a picture from one of those sensors because it would tell our enemy uh, what capabilities that sensor has, right? And so it will remain classified forever, uh, or at least until the F-22 is obsolete, right? And and that's why people say, why aren't there more data about the underwater things? 
Well, every single sensor on a, a, a on a nuclear submarine, everything on it is classified. And uh, so you're never going to get to see that data until those technologies are obsolete and no longer uh, useful against our near peers. So that's kind of the situation we're in. And sure. so I don't fault them for coming to the conclusions they do, They but they're not using all the data. And that's what I wanted to follow up with. So you're safe to say, and, and you likely can't give details, but safe to say, like with the gimbal and all these other incidents, that there are additional data sets that you guys can look at working in the classified world versus us getting a leaked video later officially released, but very little data other than the on-screen display and the voices. Yeah, that's, 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 uh, I, I would say that is a, a good uh, explanation, but I would also say there's data in that gimbal video that, that is being stripped away from the analysis that, 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 you, that shouldn't be done even just from a white world, open world analysis. Uh, the witnesses themselves, like the yeah, the witnesses and the situational awareness radar, and understanding what each of those little letters means on the on the thing and what it's telling you that the radar and the lidar system and the and the infrared system are doing. Uh, they were they were working together and tracking this thing, uh, and and so it's it's uh, there's something more to this. It's not easily explained away or debunked, and and. What I would like to see instead of this toxic headbutting that you have on the it can't be a UFOs, it has to be balloons and drones and swamp gas or whatever, is for that to go away and for everyone to uh, you know compare notes and, and to and to work this problem with you know two heads are better than one in many cases, and instead of toxically going after it, you know my grandma used to say you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. And, and I think the UFO uh, community is full vinegar, <laughs> at least. <laughs> uh, that's an understatement. But I know and I agree with you there. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk about how that that kind of community works since you're now in the private sector. But before I do, are you able to to give us one specific incident that you saw working within the task force that really stuck out to you as something that uh, is, is unexplainable and maybe not our technology or a foreign adversary, but something else did, did something like that occur for you? I can tell you it did occur, uh, John, but what I can also tell you is that we're, we're, we're firmly uh, held to our NDAs that if it hasn't been released to the public as uh, from the government, not leaked, I mean, released from the, the government to the public, then we're not supposed to, uh, we, we can't talk about it. Gotcha. And you mentioned the leaks. Uh, I'm not sure how much I can ask you about this, but one thing that always kind of fascinated me was the run-up to the report from last year. There were like these these multiple leaks of photographs, and and uh, they, they you know they came out kind of leading up, and it was like leaking like a sieve from the inside, and these that data came out. Can you address any of that on on what came out, why you think it came out, and well. I can tell you it didn't come from anybody on the task force. But what I can tell you is when we would go and do these briefings, we carried packets of the briefing, you know, marked with the right classifications and and left them with trusted agents, whether they be congressional staffers or you name it. I don't know who they were. And and I don't know who they briefed after that either following that. But I can tell you that nobody on the task force, to my knowledge, had anything to do with any leaks. And uh, uh, so wherever these things came from, Somebody besides us 
showed them uh, things if that's if they if they were you know uh, you know our documents. But I, you know, and again, I I can't talk about if they were real or not real. Uh, you know, documents unless the government has you know released that publicly. Well, that was and that was the interesting thing that fascinated me was that they did. They I mean, in, and in some cases it was very quick where. Pentagon spokespeople would come out, uh, Susan Goff, namely, and said, yes, these were utilized by the UAP task force, but I could never get them to to put in writing if they were considered unidentified or not. Now, putting the pieces of the puzzle together, the report comes out. They were only able to identify one, which they claimed was a deflating balloon. Uh, but that was it. The rest were unidentified. So again, putting two and two together, if it was utilized by the task force and the task force report said all but one were were unidentified, then I would think at that time it would be safe to say they're unidentified. Um, the one that I wanted to bring up to you, not sure if you can talk about it, is the infamous, I'm going to do the air quotes, of the green pyramids that were, mm. you know, just kind of torn apart online Um can you talk to that at all? Because I have heard you talk, I think, about triangle-shaped craft. And I think that you were talking about this, but I want to make sure. Uh, can you yeah. talk about that footage at all? Yeah, what I can talk about on that is, you know, just from a public analysis of the publicly released uh, the video, uh, you know, that's so funny. Uh, somebody must have said the words bokeh uh, to some uh, program manager or or, or non-scientist guy, and they latched on to it. And with, oh, it's a bokeh effect. It's a, clearly a photography bokeh effect thing. Well, uh, so bokeh is just a Japanese word that basically means blurry, right? Uh, and the bokeh effect is uh, if you have a camera that has a particular shaped iris inside it, some, some, a lot of them nowadays have nine sides. Uh, they look kind of like a stop sign, but with, you know, an extra side. And they, these are the irises that can close down and open up. And uh, if you set the focus uh, where it's a real close field of focus, everything behind your object that you're looking at will take on the, the blurry shape of your, your pupil, your iris, that, that nine sided that stop sign looking thing, which I know is an octagon, but a lot of the irises for some reason have nine sides. Some have 12 nowadays. But um, so the, the debunk is that there's a triangular shaped aperture inside the uh, second gen NVGs, uh, or I think it's your third gen NVGs, uh, night vision goggles that they, the Snoopy guy took the video from. And, and they say this because, uh, well, the, the stars in the background are triangular. And it's so funny that uh, somebody, uh, when we pointed to the video, said there's something in this video that's really interesting uh, they say, oh, you, you're a bunch of idiots. Those are stars. It, what, I never said those were not stars. There's one moving object in that thing. The rest are sitting there. And and in fact, the Snoopy guy gives you his GPS coordinates and the date is on the video and time. And so you can take any astronomy software and plug that GPS coordinates this off coast of San Diego and uh, uh, then put in the time and tell the direction. And he, tell, he tells you which direction he's looking. And you can see the exact star field. You can overlay it in that video. And you can see which stars they are. But you see the one that's moving and blinking. Well, if it's in the near field and he's focusing his camera on it, even if it does have a triangular aperture, if it's in focus, then it should look like whatever it is in focus. And the things behind it would have this bokeh effect. Um 
And the the interesting thing there is that even in focus, when the focus, you can see the video, the focus adjusts, the uh, object uh, that's moving is very sharply triangular, while the stars in the background are fuzzy and pseudo triangular. They're you know got rounded corners and you know they don't look like a sharp triangle that you would draw for a geometry class. And 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 so that looks more like the object moving is in focus and the things behind it are not. And so but to you and again I've got no skin in this game but but I'm just genuinely curious. Don't they look like the exact same shape to you though? No, actually I've done a detailed analysis. The the thing that's moving is very sharp detailed triangular and the things behind it are much more fuzzy uh rounded triangular. And the things behind it are clearly stars and there's a bokeh type effect. I'm not so sure there's a triangular aperture in the NV, the third gen NVGs. Uh, they cost too much for me to tear one apart and look and see. Uh, you know, I'll, uh, I'm, I may, if I, if I want to put more skin in that game, tear one apart, but I don't really care. There's plenty of other videos that are more interesting. But here's the key, though. I are those out, by the way? Me. Are those videos that are more interesting out in the open or no? I know a lot more about the, what was going on at that time frame than what is just in that video, right? And the Snoopy guy tells you, if you listen to the audio, which again, the debunkers throw the audio out. He says that uh, radar has verified uh, uh, drones in the area. And, uh, and, and now they use the word drone as sort of a catch-all for any unknown aircraft that's not like, looked like a mancraft that they find. So he's thinking that, so he's telling you right there, the radar has picked up something. So this thing is detected on radar that they're seeing. Also keep in mind, this is a ship in the middle of the ocean and there's no other ships anywhere near it. And drones at best have a 10 or 15 minute uh, sort of flight uh, capability with the batteries. So where did this thing come from? Right. And if it is a drone that the Chinese or somebody else has, and it's got a much better battery life cycle than that, uh, then they've got something we don't. And that's something important. And had we known for sure that was a Chinese drone doing something like that, there's no way it would have ever been declassified. To my knowledge, that video was never classified. I mean, uh, I was in I was there when we wrote the security class guide for things like that. And to my knowledge, it never was. In the last six minutes or so, I have a couple more points that I want to yeah. just. And it's just, not a hard six minutes. It's up to you, John. I mean, oh, I, I appreciate that. No, I don't. But I also don't want to. Res- I want to respect your time. Don't want to disrespect it. So I want to keep it uh, as tight as I can. Uh, as you've now walked away from that role, you've retired and gone to the to the private sector. Can I ask, without in- impeding on any classified information, what are you walking away with? Uh, idea wise, meaning when you look at these phenomena, or if you feel it's just one phenomenon, what are we looking at? What do you, what do you conclude by all the stuff that you've seen? You walk out, you're now in the private sector. How do you feel about UFOs and UAP? Well, I know it's a real scientific phenomena that I don't know what it is. There is a lot of, um, data, there's a lot of data that I've seen that leads me into the the bin of sort of the science fiction. It could very well be extraterrestrial uh, beings, drones, AI, something like that. But it also leads me into the, 
uh, you know, when I try to come up with a mundane uh, near peers or, or billionaires or something doing this on earth, that uh, that seems to be more of a stretch than going toward the more exotic explanation. And then there's always the possibility that Mother Nature is showing us something new that we've never seen before. But, man, it's it certainly doesn't act like just some random uh, natural phenomena. Um, so I'm more inclined to lean one way. And that is that there is some nuts and bolts solution. Uh, it might not be made of nuts and bolts. It might be something completely different than what we understand as nuts and bolts. But that it isn't something we built uh, and it is something that we should be concerned with. I mean, I can tell you from firsthand uh, after being exposed to radiation out on uh, Skinwalker Ranch and being sick for a week from it, uh, that uh, I think there's a and seeing other people uh, have physiological effects and hearing the psychological trauma that, you know, the pilots and things have talked about uh, this. We need to get to the bottom of this. And when you see how close they fly to airplanes and stuff, uh, that's concerning. What if one of them decides to fly a little closer? So, so them having an extraterrestrial origin is, is on the table for you, but you're not 100% convinced. Well, um, see, that's the thing about the, the way I want everybody to understand this is, while I might think that's the answer, uh, if I can't prove that's the answer, it's disingenuous for me to tell everybody you know, that it's probably aliens or it's probably the Chinese or it's probably the Russians or whatever. If I can't prove it any until I can until I can prove what it is, it's it's very disingenuous for me to to say otherwise, because it's going to lead people to, you know, maybe, you know, go to conclusions in other parts of their life that uh, that this would affect. And uh, and I don't want to do that uh, while again. Yeah. All I can say is the, the from probabilities right now, the probability of it being more of a science fiction answer uh, than it is a mundane China near peer Russia oligarch something I don't know answer seems like uh, it's 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 going up higher on the uh, the science fiction scenario being more likely because it's just everything we've turned over every rock we've turned over on planet just on, on Earth just suggest that there's nobody here that could build these things and do this, do these kinds of things. Uh, but I could be wrong and I'd be happy to be proven wrong or, or I'd also be happy to be proven right. <laughs> Quick question about the, you said you were, were sick for a week from Skinwalker Ranch. And if there's a connection with these phenomena in some way with that, isn't that measurable data? Meaning like if you've got something that is ailing you, have you, have you looked at that? I mean, I mean, it, especially in a pandemic world, you know, everybody's frantic about viri and bacteria and so on and so forth. So at what point when you experience that, do you turn around and go, okay, look, paranormal or not, something's going on here that we got to look at. And you call the CDC or, you know, HHS or whomever yeah. that would look at that. Well, you with, help within, me understand that. Within um, uh, 48 hours of me being exposed to whatever it was that gave me all the symptoms of radiation sickness. Um, and uh, we had a, a contractor who does this for nuclear Navy ships uh, come in and scour the place from top to bottom. It couldn't find any, anything that would trigger a gamma ray detector. So we've left gamma ray detectors out there for long periods of times. And what we'll see 
is a huge spike up here uh, of, of near dangerous levels, uh, but they only last for uh, certain amounts of time, and it's random as to when and, and where they are, actually. So we don't know uh, why this is and what's causing it, but we've been uh, looking and noticing that there might be some correlation with when we see UAP phenomena that we are also seeing these spikes in the gamma rays. Have have those types of spikes, if you set something up in like my backyard, that's not Skinwalker Ranch, it, are those normal? Just because I'm not aware. No, there are gamma rays on top of university buildings all over, and there's uh, undergraduate physics labs where they build the gamma ray detectors and run and do experience. Now, you'll get spikes, but only, you know, uh, two or three times back normal background, which is completely safe levels. Uh, because they're, you know, the sun will burp a, 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 a you know, solar flare every now and then. You'll get, uh, you'll get co uh, something, a black hole somewhere will spit out some uh, gamma rays or, or muons that are moving real fast and hit the upper atmosphere and create these things. But uh, in general, no. Uh, if you do start seeing gamma rays in your house, you probably got radon gas and you need to take care of that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's really odd that this happens within this, you know, 500 acre place, the way it does. Now, to qualify that, you know, I don't have a gamma ray detector 10 miles off the ranch to see, but we do have them in, there are some in other places. Uh, and the, uh, actually the weather service, NOAA has them in places. Uh, they, they were put out during the cold war to, to see if uh, the, you know, the, the Russians were doing above ground nuclear testing and stuff and, and to measure that kind of thing. So, um, you know, there's nothing, that tells me that this is a phenomenon that's happening anywhere except near these events. Gotcha. Last point I want to deal with you is essentially the future. Uh, you have now gone into the private sector. It was reported you're working at a company called Radiance Technologies, right? That's correct. And you are working with Jay Stratton, who we've talked about a lot through the last hour or so as uh, leading the UAP task force. Now you guys are together in the private sector. There's a lot of rumors about that, a lot of um, speculation that Radiance is either, and I've seen it, I'm not even making this up, that you guys are reverse engineering alien spacecraft, that you guys are going for UAP investigative contracts. Uh, and I've also heard that there's nothing going on. I've looked, I can't find anything. Uh, I found some other Radiance technology uh, contracts and stuff that the DOD posted publicly, uh, but nothing UAP related, and that's normal. It's a very successful company. So that being said, Let's deal with the rumors. Are you guys doing UAP work? Well, um, what we're doing is uh, we're continuing to do work that we've done our entire careers, right? We have expertise that we've built up, and that's what they hired us for. Radiance does a, a lot of different things uh, from directed energy to uh, some advanced propulsion to foreign mi uh, military equipment exploitation. You know, so, you know, if they... Uh, we're the company to go to say if you had a downed uh, you know russian or chinese uh, asset and you wanted to figure out what it was and what it was doing you know we're the kind of company to to do that now we to my knowledge i haven't seen a ufo in a hangar somewhere yet but uh, you know i'd be happy to get one and, and start reverse engineering it and my personal motivation is yes i do want to continue doing the work uh and, and my plan is to continue interacting with the, the same community I've interacted with my entire career and continue to offer uh, what uh, subject matter expertise I've, I've gathered 
to that. And, and because it's fun work and it's, it's a moral imperative to it. I mean, you know, what are these things? Are they, are they friendly? Are they foe? Do they don't care? I mean, are, are they uh, uh, benevolent, malicious? We don't know. I have no idea what, what these things are. So I'm going to continue to research them and try to figure it out. Um, and Radiance uh, has, you know, a lot of fun work. And, and, and our president said uh, in an interview with uh, George Knapp, I think it was, that uh, we'd be happy to reverse engineer an alien spacecraft if we were, uh, you know, given the opportunity. So uh, that's that's the way I, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not confirming or denying. I'm not saying I'm not confirming or not denying. I'm saying, sure, if uh, the work comes along, I'm going to do it, right? Well, I got to probe you a little bit, pardon the pun on that. You can't confirm or deny. So you can't? No yay or nay on UAP work? Oh, uh, well, I can say that um, uh, nobody's... So let me let me put it to you like this. Uh, you know, nobody is paying me right now from a government standpoint to do any UAP work. And uh, uh, but it doesn't mean that I, I'm not uh, I don't want to do it. And it doesn't mean that I wouldn't do it if the opportunity arose. Uh, let's just leave it, leave it at that. But uh, uh, I will tell you that uh, it's my personal goal to be, uh, I don't know if people watching this will be old enough to remember the adventures of Johnny quest. But, uh, since I was a kid, it was my goal to be Dr. Benton quest that when the alien spacecraft spider crashes on the Island, that they call me to go to it and see what it is and figure out how to stop the thing. Right. And so, and, and I haven't given up on that dream, even though that was a long time ago. And so maybe that's the best way to leave that. I'll leave it alone. Um, <clears throat> take as much time as you want. Cause I, like I said, want to respect it. So I'm out of time, but I did want to get your thoughts on the current effort. And again, this is just as a private citizen, you looking out uh, from the outside in, uh, take as much time as you want, uh, if any at all. But do you want to comment on the current standing of the DOD's UAP research effort with arrow where they're going? The report is late. Obviously something's going on. Um, got any thoughts on that? Uh, well, sure. I mean, I, I don't I don't read anything into the report being late. Man, I worked for the government for, for 27 years and as a contractor for another 10 on top of that. And reports are late. Let's just just, you know, keep that in mind. It's not that it's, people are always mandated by law by Congress. And they why is it Congress? Well, look at all the turmoil Congress is going through right now. They don't know who's going to be in charge. They don't know who's doing what. So I suspect this is not something high on their, uh, you know, to-do list until after, you know, there's not even a budget in place yet. And we probably won't have a budget till January or February. And I suspect at that point, once they have a sigh of relief after they figure that part out, then somebody will say, oh, yeah, we were supposed to have that UAP, uh, that arrow briefing by now, right? Somebody go check on that. And I suspect that's exactly what's happening with it. Now, as far as the team that's doing it, um, it's, pro it's mostly people that were they were doing it before, and then there's some new people that were brought in uh, to this new office, this new Aero office, to my understanding. And they all seem like top-notch, you know, people that have this, their career. They 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 don't have any disingenuousness, I think, about what they're doing. And 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 I don't even know if it's them that's uh, in the delay of the process. I suspect it's just it's just a a big thing to get done and a lot of people have to sign off on it before they can 
package it up and walk it across uh, the river to the Capitol building. And, and I suspect that really is it. It's really just a matter of, uh, you know, and I know the Twitterverse going to go, oh, they're covering it up. He's not want to say it. It's just, they're breaking the law. They haven't done it. It's not, I guarantee you, it's nothing like that. It is simply the quagmire of getting stuff done day to day, especially this time of year in the government where you got holidays, there's no budget signed. And, and just after an election where nobody knows who's doing what, right? So there's, there's a lot of moving parts there. Yeah. And none of us really know if OD and I called the congressional committee or committees and said, hey, by the way, we're going to be late and kind of set that up and everybody's prepared for it. And UFO Twitter. I have heard it. through the grapevine that that I think everybody's cordial about it. Yeah. I think everybody knows. And it's and it's maybe somebody should do a press release or something. Say, hey, yeah, we know it's coming. It's, yeah. You know, uh we, we lost our number two pencil and we're trying to get another one or something. I don't know. but Yeah, we're no. currently sharpening. I asked OD and I yesterday if if that was actually the case, if Congress was made aware, just kind of giving them an out. They are completely mum. They just won't contact, like comment there, back at all. I, I suspect that uh, it, in most cases in the government, look, you can't go and talk. So I, like I said, I was a government employee forever. You cannot say something in public as a government official without it having gone through you know, three lawyers and four <laughs> program managers and SESs and bosses and generals. And so I, I, I honestly think it's easier for them not to say anything uh, at this point and then just uh, bear with the uh, the onslaught of bad press. <laughs> yeah. And I but I think that the conspiracies that 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 form outside actually is making our side look a little bit more silly because everybody creates these conspiracies. And then later we learn, yeah, ODNI called on October 29th uh, and said, hey, by the way, it's going to be late. Congress says, yeah, we don't really care. And that's it. You know, there's nothing exciting about it. Yet the general public takes over and, and makes up the own story. But yeah, yeah, I have no knowledge of it, that, that that has happened. But uh, it wouldn't I surprise suspect, me, though. Yeah, I suspect that's what the case is. And it, it, this is this is a clearly logistics issue. It's not a conspiracy theory issue. I'll guarantee yeah. that. Yeah. Well, Dr. Taylor, I can't thank you enough. Obviously, I blew through my scheduled time. I really did want to respect the time that you allotted for me today to to come on the show. Uh, I know not everybody wants to come on this show. And, and to your credit, I hope you don't mind me saying this. You had zero requirements for me, meaning saying, John, don't ask this or stay away from that. So the audience doesn't formulate any kind of, you know, uh, rumors. You were great, you know, and I really Thank do appreciate your openness for me because I do get entwined in those questions that are thrown your way as I'm the big mean skeptic guy, uh, mo most of which is unfounded, but hey, hey, th I, I, thank I, you for I'd that. I'd like to, I'd like to throw into that, John, and I appreciate you being very forthright uh, with everything and, and being real honest with me about all that. But, uh, I, I want people to realize, you know, I'm not getting rich off of this. I, I mean, I make a middle-class comfortable living like any other scientist or engineer in the country. And, uh, and, but I'm personally motivated. I've been a very patriotic since I was a kid. I, I see this as a moral imperative that may, maybe it's a threat to our country. Maybe it's an opening to a whole new level of humanity. Right. So I'm driven to figure out what this is. And I'm not going to I'm not trying to keep things covered up or conspiracies or anything like that. And, you know, I, now I certainly will not violate anything uh, that will affect national security or any of my oaths. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm just a guy, you know, that happened to be lucky enough to get that job and do the work. Right. 
Well, I do appreciate it. And thank you. And I hope that you'll come back. I've got 32,000 other questions I didn't get to ask. Uh, but uh, but I, I, again, joking aside, I do appreciate it. And thank you for that. And hopefully you will come back. You're very welcome. And absolutely, just let me know. I appreciate that. And thank you all for listening and or watching. This is John Greenwald Jr. signing off. And we will see you next time.